0: Welcome back to the Free Mind Podcast, where we explore topics in Western history, politics, philosophy, literature, and current events with a laser focus on seeking the truth and an adventurous disregard for ideological and academic fashions. I'm Matt Burgess, an assistant professor of environmental studies and faculty fellow of the Benson Center for the Study of Western Civilization at the University of Colorado Boulder. My guest today is Joey Fortino. Joey is a graduate of CU Boulder, who served as the president of the CU Boulder College Republicans until graduating in 2022. Our conversation explores the conservative student experience on campus. We discuss recent survey studies of conservative college student experiences on American campuses, and how these compare to Joey's experience at CU. Joey Frutino, welcome to the Free Mind Podcast. Thanks for having me, Matt. Okay, so today's topic is the conservative student experience on campus. But to be honest, I really dislike political labels. And so what I want to start with before we get into the stuff that's maybe explicitly political is ask you a couple of questions that are designed to open the audience's mind and maybe also open your mind. Does that sound good? That sounds good. Okay, great. So tell me a bit about yourself and try as hard as you can to not reference politics in doing so. So where did you grow up when you came to college? What was your major? What are your career goals? What are you passionate about?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in Parker, Colorado, which is a suburb south, southeast of Denver. I came, when I came to college, I majored in finance and accounting, and that's just because I, re- I really liked following like current events and seeing how, seeing how it affected business. I'm a numbers guy, so that's what led me to go into finance and accounting. I graduated from CU in May with a, degree, with a BS in business administration and an emphasis in finance and accounting. And I now live in Dallas, Texas, and I'm a restructuring consultant where I advise bankrupt companies and help turn around their operations.
0: Great. Uh, congratulations on graduating, by the way. So tell Thank me just you. a little bit, what are you passionate about?
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm just passionate about, I, re- I really enjoy like, learning new things. I like reading stuff, following current events, learning about what's go- going on in the world. I love uh, sports. I'm a huge baseball fan. This summer, before I started my job, I traveled across the country and and I was trying to visit all 30 major league baseball stadiums, which is not, which was a good idea in the first place, but it's not very feasible to do in one summer. I ended up visiting 20 20 of the 30 stadiums. That was a good experience. Wow. Travel around the country and seeing a bunch of the stadiums. I hope to do the remaining 10 like sometime next year. You're you're following that.
0: That's awesome. I have actually a similar bucket list goal for hockey. But I think I'm only at seven or eight, so good for you. Okay. So now, because your politics obviously are relevant to today's topic, now uh, please do tell me about your politics. But don't just tell me about your politics, tell me also about what are some ideas or things you read or learned or experiences that shaped your political worldview.
1: Yeah. So I've always been a big advocate of like free markets. I'm very like fiscally conservative. I'm extremely responsible with money. I definitely believe the government should be also fiscally responsible because I can see how that will affect me in the future. And my political views really just start started like when I was growing up. I followed like the elections in 2008 and 2012 very closely and I found I aligned a lot more with the Republican candidates rather than Democrat candidates, especially on economic and foreign policy issues. And then I just, it was something I became passionate about because I'm a very like opinionated person. I definitely, if you ask me on a topic, I'm going to tell you my opinion about it. But at the same time, I don't think that I should be telling my opinion to everyone if I'm not actually working to try to advocate for my position. So in high school, I volunteered for like a few campaigns. I volunteered for the Marco Rubio presidential campaign. Like I was like students from Marco Rubio. I started a young conservatives club in my high school with a few of my friends just to to advocate for my ideas and make people more aware of them.
0: Great. And then, as I mentioned in the introduction, you're the president of the College Republicans, right, when you were at CU?
1: Yeah, right. When I came to CU, uh, after May of my freshman year, the president of the College Republicans stepped down and I ran, ran and took, took his position. And then I served as president for three, three years, from 2019 to 2022.
0: And that's actually how you and I got to know each other through the Reducing Polarization Dialogues. Okay, so one last question to set up the topic today. And the reason I'm going to ask you this is that people tend to think of their political opponents and maybe even to some extent their political compatriots as fixed or monolithic. They believe this, we believe that, and it never changes and there's no nuance. And so to maybe break that down a little bit, can you tell me about something that you changed your mind on recently?
1: Yeah, I guess some, something that I, I changed my mind on recently. There's a lot of stuff that I do like, change my mind on over time. I obviously have been involved over time since being, being involved in politics. One thing that I definitely have changed my mind on over the years is just how to view like, your political opponents. Like A lot of times, I think people make a big mistake when they see their political opponents just as evil and that they're trying like, to be oppressive or something. But I've always, as I come to meet like more people who disagree with my political views, they're definitely like most of them are in it for like the right reasons. Like they think that their viewpoint is going to improve the world. Like how I also think my viewpoints are going to make society better. So, well, that's definitely something that since like I was a high schooler, I've changed my view on where now I think that most people who are involved in politics, they're doing it because they think they can improve, improve the world, even though I might disagree with how they're trying to improve the world. I still like respect them for what they're doing and realize they're in it for the right reasons.
0: Yeah, that's great. I I think that's a great way to empathize with people, even if you disagree with them, is that you share a desire basically to make the world a better place. Okay, so now let's get more down to, to being on topic and talk about college. And so the first thing I want to ask you was, overall, how was your experience? And how important of a role did your politics play or not play in your experience of college overall,
1: yeah, my experience in, in a college overall it was good. My politics definitely did play a big experience, but at the same time, I was the president of the College Republicans. So, any potential conservative students to see you in the future, your, your experience doesn't have to be super political if you're not like uh, involved in politics like I am. But it definitely was more political than I, would, I, was, ex- I was expecting. And most of the time and just mainly from a lot of students at see you, they typically aren't exposed to Republicans in their day to day lives. So they're surprised when they meet somebody who disagrees with them on their views. And a lot of times this is like the first time they're interacting with someone who shares like an opposite opinion with them. And it's interesting to see how, how students like react to that. Like some of them just just avoid you because they are non-confrontational and they don't want to talk politics, which I don't I'm also the type of person, I don't like, like talking politics in like, public settings, but like in classes and stuff, people definitely like, get weird if they realize like, you don't you don't agree with them on issues. So it definitely like, does affect who you become friends with, because there's some people we live in a very polarized society, unfortunately, and there are some people who aren't open to being friends with people, like different political beliefs. And I think that's because a lot of people have this idea where like, Republicans and Democrats are monolithic where all, all Republicans are 100% like Trump and then all Democrats are like 100% like Bernie Sanders. And when people are thinking like that, they can't view someone as individual. And so that causes them just to avoid like a certain group of people, even though you can have a like wide diversity of viewpoints ex- expressed in that group. So there's a lot of times where people would have like stereotypes about me being, oh, he's a Republican. This guy like supports 100% of what Trump supports, which I'm not a big Trump fan. I don't support 100% of what he did. So it's definitely something that made it difficult because it's hard to explain to people like, oh, I'm a Republican, but I don't stand like with 100% of these same ideas because it's hard for people my age to not think in like a black, black and white situation and understand that there is a lot of different viewpoints that can be expressed under the word Republican or Democrat and like a wide variety of different opinions under those labels.
0: Yeah. So it sounds like, and I was actually going to ask you more about this in a second, it sounds like there is this, what we call in social psychology, social psychology, excuse me, effective polarization, that basically people don't just disagree with each other. They dislike each other and don't want to associate with each other. One follow-up question. Did you ever meet anybody on campus, you know, a fellow student in particular who discovered one of your views that they disagree with and reacted with curiosity and wanted to know more?
1: Yeah, I definitely met, met a lot of stu- students like that. Well, I met a lot of people along the way, like a lot of the people I met, especially in the business school, when I would talk to them, like we, they found out like they agree with like me on, with a lot of views, especially like on economics, but they vote Democrat because of like social issues, which I can understand for someone who's like a college student. So that, that was something interesting just going about like people as they probe down more on like my viewpoints, they realize like, oh. We're a lot more similar than like what he thinks. Like I'm not like like these social conservatives that that are portrayed in the media all the time. Like there's definitely different like labels of republicanism. So my goal with the college Republicans was, was basically because a lot of kids you're obviously in on co- college, you're not not working, you're not paying taxes, so. It would, hard to like advocate for like, re- like, get people to vote Republican now while they're in college. My goal of it was just to give people a good impression of who I met like throughout campus of what a Republican is. So in the future, when people are older, they have families, they have jobs, they're paying taxes and their ideas might've changed like on government spending. They don't think of like whatever the media stereotypes a Republican to be out. They think of me and realize like, oh, that Joey guy I met in college, he was pretty cool. Like I would be okay with voting for Republicans or remember I like that guy. I think it, my goal is just like breaking breaking down stereotypes because as I said, a lot of people just assume think the world's black and white. I think mean, it's one way or another. They don't understand there's a lot of gray involved under the labels.
0: Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Okay, so one thing I want to follow up on is you mentioned that some of the people that you had the most productive conversations about your politics with, even those that disagree, were in your major business. And so. Did your politics affect your choice of major when you were coming into college? And, and in fact, did it affect your choice of college, of which college to go to or to go to college?
1: Yeah, it didn't affect any of those those choices. Like, I mean, I'm sure there's probably someone, I mean, probably because of the way I think I'm a very like ambitious person, wants to like achieve things in like my career. So I'm assuming that's why the main reason I wanted to go, go into business, because I like managing people, coming up with business ideas, running, like getting financing and stuff in order order for like businesses. So I think just with my politics really didn't affect that decision. But I would assume that like, if you're more like, depending on where you are on the political spectrum, that probably does impact like what you prioritize in your life. Like what I prioritize in my life aligns with like a business major. But if like you're more like liberal, like my brother, he's more like liberal. He's empathetic. He cares a lot more about affecting people's lives. He decided to become like a teacher, and I think that's more because he prioritized like helping people more rather than like achievements like in a business world. So I can see like politics kind of affecting that but it didn't affect my major choice overtly. Obviously, my political leanings did not affect my choice to go to CU Boulder. I, I knew what I was getting myself into, but I still decided to go to CU despite the reputation of it being an extremely liberal school. So it did not affect my college choice.
0: Yeah. And we'll, and we'll get back to the reputation a little bit in a second, because there's some interesting nuance there, actually, where the, there on the one hand is the, the reputation for having a particular climate. But if you look at policies, CU actually has some policies that conservatives sometimes advocate for. So things like a, a very strong free speech policy, a non-discrimination policy that explicitly includes political affiliation, political philosophy. But we'll dig, we'll dig out into it in a second. To paraphrase what you just said, it sounds like in regarding your major choice, it wasn't that your politics and your major were unrelated, but they were both influenced by a deeper underlying set of priorities, as opposed to one directly influencing the other. Is that is that a yeah? Fair that's, that's paraphrasing. Correct. Yeah, it's, that's a correct. Paraphrasing. Okay. So one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on was that there's a lot of, as I'm sure you've seen, consternation among public conservative and and many moderate public intellectuals about the state of college campuses and about the implications of the state of college campuses for both the conservative student experience and the general intellectual environment. And so I want to go through some specific critiques of college campuses that I've heard uh, and ask you about them. And if possible, try your best to be as accurate as you can. Don't try to paint it one way or the other. Just try try to summarize your experiences as accurately and honestly as you can. So first, if you had to guess, what fraction of the professors that you had would you guess were identifiably liberal? And I don't just mean, you know, I I think this person might have been a liberal. The things that they said, you know, or I don't know, their social media presence or or whatever, pretty strongly signal that they were liberal.
1: Yeah, I would say probably around 50% concentrated outside of like non-business school classes, but there were some business school professors who also was clear that they were liberals.
0: Okay. And then uh, same question for conservatives. I would say I only had like one conservative professor
1: and he was like the visiting conservative scholar at the Benson Center that year. So
0: it was pretty explicit that he was
1: conservative.
0: Sure. And then, so that leaves a pretty large fraction of your professors in the remainder? And would you describe those as apolitical or maybe intentionally cautious about revealing their politics? Or maybe they were teaching you calculus where it just would never have come up? And how would you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would say most of
1: them were teaching like a math-based thing where it would never came up. And then I also had a few professors who were just like apolitical and they would play like devil's advocate and advocate in like classes, like business law. There was a class like freshman year called World of Business for the professors. Their job was basically just to play like devil's advocate, be like advocate for this one viewpoint. And then the student advocates for it. And then their goal was like to rip apart like the arguments on both sides. So we obviously can never tell what their political views were because they were attacking both sides of the issue and finding the weak points in the
0: arguments. Yeah, no, that's that's certainly that's certainly something that I try to do is... Play a little bit of devil's advocate in my classes. Okay, so a follow up question, and I want to preface this, and maybe I should have prefaced the previous question with this also. I want the, our conversation about these next few questions to be describing general patterns. Please don't kind of single out any particular professor or particular class in a way that would be, okay. would be identifiable, just because that's not what we're, we're trying to do. You haven't done that. So, of the f- half of your professors that you would say were identifiably liberal, What fraction of those would you say were actively pushing an agenda that you felt was political beyond presenting the fact-based material of their discipline?
1: Yeah. So I'd say the ones that I clearly could identify as liberals, I'd say probably, like I said, 50% of the professors I had were clearly identified themselves as liberals, probably about like 90% of those professors. They were advocating for like an agenda in the classes. The reason I could tell their politics is because they would start the class and then they talk about like what was going on in the news, like whatever was going on involving Trump, whatever was going on involving like the 2020 election. And there was a clear like slant to like what they were saying or like were like history classes or like liberal art classes where they would talk about like historical events in a certain way where you clearly could tell they were pushing an agenda. And most of these professors would just, like, lecture, so they wouldn't give an opportunity for, like, students to express their viewpoints. They just would stand in front of the class and kind of use the bully pulpit and just could keep on talking about their viewpoints and never ask, like, oh, what do the students think about this and allow, like, the class to have a discussion. That's how I was able to tell that they, like, were clearly, like, liberals because they specifically took, just spent the class, like, lecturing us on their beliefs rather than having us. Say what our beliefs are, and then venomous and going around and talking about like different beliefs and different point of mind. They didn't let like an alternative perspective be heard in the class.
0: Okay, so follow up question. So we're talk It sounds like we're talking about something like a quarter of your professors that you felt were pushing an agenda. Did you get the sense that your peers, even if they were sympathetic to the agenda, were aware of that the professors were pushing an agenda, or do you think that they? were unaware and and thought that they were being presented with a balanced perspective? I mean, I think most
1: of my peers, so I'm gonna preface this, I always sat in the front row of the class. I was always sitting next to the kids who like were listening the most and paying attention the most. They, I think, could clearly tell that like, the professor was like, had, had an agenda. But then I'm not sure about like the kids who sat more farther back in the class and really weren't like paying as close attention. They might have thought that it was a balanced viewpoint if it was they weren't paying like that much attention, but I think it's pretty pretty clear if you were like paying attention to the whole class and seeing that like oh this is they're not just advocating for like one they're advocating for one side rather than just showing multiple views of the issue
0: okay yeah that's that's helpful so to maybe put a slightly finer point on it to the extent that these professors that you encountered were trying to indoctrinate, as some people might say, students into a particular worldview, do you think that it was effective in the sense that, do you think that there were, or did you notice any reasonably large fraction of students that you encountered in these classes whose opinions seemed to be influenced in the direction that the professors were trying to influence them? Or was it mostly the professor stating their view and some people agreed with them and some people didn't, but it wasn't really affecting anyone else's opinion?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say for the most part, I would say the professors are not not that effective, just because if you think about a lot of kids, they're not really paying attention in college classes, so they're not like, especially the ones who don't attend most of the classes. So I don't think that they're like persuading many people. Obviously, depend depends on the class depend and depends on the top topic. So there are definitely some classes where I think the professor could influence viewpoints. I think it's on more of like minor political issues that people aren't as aware of. But otherwise, I think most people, they go in with a viewpoint in these classes and they leave with like a sim- similar viewpoint. They either dismiss what the professor is saying or they can 100% like agree with it. But I think for some more minor issues that are as a little bit harder to point, see as like overtly polit- political. So, uh, so like if we're talking about like, I don't know, like tax policies or some, something or like not something like specifically like relating to an election, then I think you'd be able to, the professors able to persuade more people because more people aren't really like they don't know as much about the issue go, going in, so they don't have as like strong strong beliefs going in to start with. So that enables professors to shift viewpoints. But overall, I don't really think that it's that bad effect that professors are that effective at pushing their viewpoints.
0: Yeah, this actually matches what I've seen in national studies by groups like Heterodox Academy in a really interesting way. So. It's a fact that nationally, the professoriate as a whole, in fact, in every discipline, but extremely so in some disciplines, skews liberal. So the, the liberal to conservative ratio, I want to say, is something like three or four to one in business and economics, but you know, 60 to one, 100 to one, 200 to one uh, in some of the humanities disciplines, for example, especially in campuses in liberal parts of the country. But it's also the case that the few studies I've seen that have looked at to what extent are professors actually influencing students' views systematically? The answer seems to be not much. So, for example, students' politi- uh, self-reported political affiliations are quite stable across their four years. And so it sounds like that kind of matches what, what you're ex- saying experientially, that basically there's some professors, although a minority, and I think, I think it's important for our listeners to hear that because probably some of our listeners think it's a larger fraction than that, certainly are trying to indoctrinate, perhaps but it's in many ways not working. Does that match your experience? Yeah, that matches my, my
1: experience. experience.
0: Okay, so let's talk about self-censorship because that's another topic that comes up a lot in the context of the conservative student experience on campus. So did you ever find that you were afraid to share your opinions in class? And what were the sorts of topics that you found yourself feeling this way on? And or maybe what are the sorts of classes?
1: Yeah, so most classes, I was never afraid to share my opinion. Opinion, and that's just because I'm extremely, extremely, confident, and I'm willing to express my opinion, even though it's going to be unpopular. But there are certainly times where, like, you self censor. So I think a bigger, a bigger thing for the this is for like the listeners. I think a lot of students they don't self censor because of what the professor would say. It's was they're self censoring from other fellow students within. I think that we're more concerned is like if you if you express one viewpoint and like a bunch of people in your class disagree with that I could give you a social stigma that's gonna negatively like affect you like you might not be invited to like go to like fun events or you might be but might be shunned by them so I think that self censorship is definitely something more like you're doing it not because of the professor but because you have the fellow students in the class and for me there was never a time where like I, I self-censored in the in a class I mean I had one like history class where they were talking a lot about like race issues i kind of self-censored in there because uh, social issues are a lot more like harder to talk about than like economic or like foreign policy issues if you like say some phrase something the wrong way that it could go things could really go south quickly so i just kind of self-censor in there because that could be in trouble but otherwise most of the time i
0: was pretty confident to
1: be able to talk talk about my
0: beliefs Great. So there are a couple of things I want to follow up on. The first one is it sounds like you validated national statistics again. (laughs) Uh, And in fact, I've also run similar surveys in my own class in your reporting that the main fear that drives self censorship is fear of one's peers rather than fear of one's professors. But quick follow up there. And again, don't single anybody out in particular, but did you ever have a class where you felt like your grade depended on you asserting a particular opinion?
1: No, I did not. I have. I always felt that most of my classes were business school classes. So they really, you really weren't like expressing many opinions in there. So I did not really feel that. Some of the history classes, I definitely felt that I couldn't write like a paper critical of what they were, what the professors were like saying. Like I kind of had to write like go their way or the highway on their interpretation of the historical events. Not on my business school classes, but some of the history classes I took, I definitely felt that like it wouldn't be a, the best idea to disagree with the professor in a paper.
0: Okay, but even then, would it be fair to say that this was something you were inferring as opposed to something that was being expressed to you? Yeah, really? it was something
1: that was more being more infer- inferring. And the reason why I said just like I, I inferred that is because like if you look at like the book materials for the class, they all advocate like one viewpoint. The professor is advocating like a specific viewpoint of like the historical event. So like in that in that situation, it's probably best not to deviate from like their their interpretation from it since they're basically pulling all their class sources from it and they're pulling and all their lectures are about that.
0: Gotcha. So another question I want to ask you following up on a, a similar theme. Basically, in the spirit is steel manning the other side. So for the for listeners who don't know what I mean by steel manning, what I mean is trying to understand and articulate the strongest possible case for whatever the opposing side is to what idea you're arguing or exploring at the time. And so if the idea is that self-censorship is pervasive, and certainly if you just ask students if they self-censor in their classes, it's well over fifty percent in the surveys I've done in my classes and the national surveys that I've read that report doing that. But one of the critiques that sometimes levelled at those surveys is: isn't self censorship just an a ubiquitous part of the human experience? Isn't some level of self censorship an important part of you know day to day interactions? Like if you're just walking down the street or you're meeting with your friends, you're not going to openly tell them all the time you know what you think about what they're wearing for example right the person who does that yeah. isn't particularly popular and so to what extent does or does not that counterpoint explain the self-censorship like like is that all it is or is there something deeper there
1: yeah i mean for certain situations like obviously if you were at like a social event and you were in a class that you weren't even talking about like political topics then you shouldn't be like bringing up like political issues like It's like how they say like, oh, if you're going on a first date, never talk about religion or politics like that's not a great idea to talk about that in like a non out of context setting like that. But specifically in classes, I'd say if you're talking about like a topic that is like debatable in the class, So this is specifically a class where they bring up political topics, it's part of like the class discussion and materials, then I do still think people are self, self-censoring, not, and it's not just because of like human nature. I think in that situation, it's because they're concerned to express an idea that might might create like conflict between them and another, another student or might affect them negatively socially. So although I agree with you that it's like inhuman nature to self-censor most of the time, I think in classes where political topics are clearly brought up, I don't think people are just self-censoring because of human nature. They're self-censoring just to protect their rep- reputations.
0: Right, and maybe I think what you're getting at is it's not only that they feel like they need to self-censor to protect their reputations; it's also maybe that opportunities for learning are being missed, right? If if people are not able to openly air and discuss ideas in precisely a setting where that's the whole point, is that right?
1: Yeah, that, that's that's right. Like I think one of the main points of like going going to college and taking these types of classes. Is to be able to out- learn how to advocate for your viewpoint and like come up with a cohesive argument for it, and then be able to evaluate strengths and weaknesses in your in your like viewpoint along with like other people, so you can make like your argument stronger. And If you don't have people like expressing different viewpoints in these classes, then no one's learning how to do that, and they're not really getting a val- that, that value like in education.
0: Yeah. So one other way in which I want to follow up on this is is the following. It reminds me a little bit of I grew up in Quebec as part of the English linguistic minority. And one of the things that was interesting about that was that there were laws. So for example, you couldn't go to an English public school in Quebec unless one of your parents had also gone to an English public school, I think also in Quebec specifically, but but certainly at least in Canada. So for example, if you married another English American and moved to Quebec. You would have to send your kids to either French public school or private school, even, even if you and your wife don't speak a word of French and English is an official language of Canada. So that was an example of a policy that in some ways was designed to favor the French and, and the French language and, and maybe the French people. But what was interesting about it was what it ended up doing was encouraging English people to learn French and encouraging French people to not learn English and that asymmetry was actually in the long run beneficial to english people in the job market because it was good it was a good thing to be bilingual and it certainly was a good thing to know english and have an access to the north american market and so bringing it back to the conservative liberal issue in the classroom do you ever feel like being a conservative and disproportionately predominantly almost exclusively maybe having liberal professors do you feel like that 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 in a way could have enhanced your learning in the sense that that you were being exposed to the other side in a way that allowed you to think about what were the best ideas from both sides and maybe some of your peers that came in with similar views to the professors were not?
1: Yeah, I, I, de- I definitely think, think that. I mean, going in an environment where like you're like a minority with an, with an idea like that is, I think that's really like helpful in the long run because first of all, I was able to hear like opposite sides of the arguments like from the if I like stayed in like where I grew grew up or went to a super conservative school where I would have not been able to say like oh these are like very weak points of my arguments I need to like refine and then come up with better ideas or say like oh this is the reasoning this is the reasoning why people think that policy is good even though I strongly disagree with it that's the reason why they're pushing it maybe I can find a solution to address the issue that's causing them like to push it so definitely like broadens your viewpoint which makes you it makes you like more aware of the world The really good thing is it enables you like to be able to figure out how to get along with people like anywhere like because of my experience like I can go go to like San Francisco or like Manhattan and I can survive in like a place like that where no one shares like my political viewpoints like I am able to interact with people who have different opinions than me. I'm able to go from like the most conservative areas of the country to the most liberal ones and I know how to interact with interact with different types of people to be able to get along with them because of like this experience. I overall, I think it was a, it was a beneficial experience for me in the long run.
0: Yeah. In fact, the way you describe it, it almost sounds like you're living what people like Jonathan Haidt would describe as the anti-fragile student experience, right? The idea that we need to be exposing students to ideas and people and viewpoints that they find disagreeable precisely because it, strengthens their intellectual habits. It strengthens their emotional habits and, and their overall well-being. So that's great. I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Let's also visit the flip side of that a little bit. And that is, and again, without you know getting too specific in terms of specific people, were you ever made to feel unwelcome in a class on the basis of your political views? I mean, like
1: there definitely was times where I felt like, singled out like they were attacking like conservatives for being like selfish because they prioritize like capitalism over like caring for people and like that's a situation where you definitely feel like excluded you feel like you're being specifically tar- targeted out but you just kind of like s- sit there and like learn you get through it and so there are times like that but you learn learn how to like survive something like that it all helps you helps you become more like open to criticism too. And learn how they dealt with it too. Is definitely if you're going to express a conservative viewpoint, people are going to come back and try to refute refute you refute your argument. So you got to be ready to debate.
0: Yeah. Okay. So one one other follow up I want to ask on this this general line of questioning, and then we can pivot a little bit. Is one of the things you said maybe five, 10 minutes ago, which was really interesting, was about how, in some ways, by being president of the College Republicans and by being open and vocal about your opinions and correct me if I'm paraphrasing inaccurately but it sounds like basically that you were saying that to some extent among your peers you were somewhat of a known quantity and certainly one of the things that a lot of people who cover the culture wars and cancel culture and things like that closely observe is that it's often the people who get the most blowback and and the most what you might say bullying or ostracism from their peers are actually people who are almost in the same place politically as the people who are bullying them, but are just off a little bit on one issue. So one example of a famous person who might fit this description would be J.K. Rowling, right? She, she's gotten a lot of blowback for her views on one specific issue, you know, relating to gender. But on almost every other issue, she's pretty much a mainline liberal. And so is there something to that? Did you ever notice distinction in how maybe some of your peers were treating you as a conservative a kind of a very vocal conservative as opposed to either somebody who was more self-censoring in their opinions and just kind of occasionally weighed into the fray or somebody who was you know usually quite liberal but occasionally d- deviated is there something to that or is that is that doesn't really match your experience
1: yeah i really i really never never observed that i mean obviously as i said earlier like even in college you learn people have like a wide variety of viewpoints if someone calls themselves a democrat it can mean like any, anything ranging from like a moderate democrat to like a Bernie Sanders progressive. So you never know what to expect. But I would say that for the most part, people people never would like in the first place, because I was so known for being conservative, like people who were like super liberal wouldn't be willing to affiliate with me in the first place. Cause I would the first day of class, if we started a political argument on my hand would go up and I would talk about my viewpoints. And I wouldn't be like afraid to do that. So I never really made, became friends with the people who likely would judge people like that because they already probably were avoiding me because of that. So I never got like close enough to them to see like, oh, did they judge like a Democrat who disagrees with them on a few issues completely different than someone who agrees with them a hundred percent of the time. So I, I really can't answer answer that question because I was just such a such a known quantity that people either were willing to affiliate with me or they weren't because I mean, made myself like knowing who I was the first day of of
0: class. Some famous people who have been canceled describe a similar phenomenon that they, you know, once they're out in their opinions, people either stick with them or shun them. And many of them describe that as freeing in hindsight, even though of course, you know, the process of being canceled is itself can be quite traumatic and, and can certainly be existential to your livelihood depending on who you are. Does that resonate at all with you, the the idea that basically being open about who you are and kind of what you see is what you get did you find that that was freeing in a way
1: yeah I, I do i do find it's it's freeing because you can act like who you really are you don't have to be covering up who you are and then showing other people not showing other people that you can be the authentic and show what you really believe so that enables you to like hang out with people who accept you for who you are you don't have to put on like some sort of grand act to appease other people like i'm not I'm not here to appease other people like I'm here to express like my own own beliefs like I'm not trying like to change who I am to become someone's friend or or get like a certain grade in a class like I'm gonna be myself doing that, so it is freeing because you can do what you want and you don't have to be someone that you're not
0: yeah, that makes a lot of sense, okay, I feel like it's hard to have a conversation about the political climate on college campuses and not talk about the summer of 2020 and the year that followed that. And of course, COVID-19 was all happening at the same time. And so my question is, there certainly was an impression that in the national conversation and in some media organizations that the tone of the conversation in, say, the six months to a year that followed the summer of 2020 changed significantly. To what extent did you feel that on campus?
1: Yeah, I definitely felt like following the pandemic that people, I would say before the pandemic, people were a lot more open and like affiliating with other people who disagreed with them. I think after like everyone was shut in their houses for houses for like after March 2020, like January 2021, I think that people, they, since they were alone, they became really like insular and then made them not be able to see other people's viewpoints. Like a lot of people, they went online, went on websites like Twitter, and they went into like basically a universe where they were able to only see an echo chamber, where they were only able to see their their viewpoints and not hear the other side. And so I think that when people finally left their houses and re-entered society and started interacting with other people, I think it was hard for a lot of people to realize like, oh, not everyone is gonna agree with you 100% of the time people who disagree with you aren't aren't like evil like they have their reasons behind disagreeing with you but I think following like the pandemic people just became a lot a lot less willing to work with other people cooperate with other people
0: socialize with other other people
1: that did not share their viewpoints
0: interesting and so it sounds like you're saying that in your experience it had more to do with the pandemic than with other specific events like the say the events of the summer of summer 2020 and the yeah i mean well it had to do with those events but i
1: think the main thing was is that because people were stuck were stuck inside their houses they weren't interacting with other people when those like protests were happening they were not hearing like opinions expressed differently than ones that they wanted to agree with and everyone was in an echo chamber so when that was going on we had a election going on then you had racial protests protests you had the police like protest everyone was only listening to their side of their issues they became a lot less like tolerant of being willing to hear like how someone who disagreed with them on the issue and i also think just like the topic as we really not at the time of the pandemic but i also think the mask thing has been a huge thing in our society of dividing people because it's like if you don't wear a mask some people think like you're evil while others there's a huge divide between the two groups and like they don't mesh well together some people refuse to affiliate with someone who's just not going to wear not going to wear a mask so I think that also like really divide dividing people and cause people to become a lot less tolerant of other viewpoints.
0: Yeah. Although what I've seen at least on campus is that the fraction of folks that wear masks now, and maybe even yeah. in the spring of 2022, so the last semester that you were there, is that almost nobody wears masks now. So just you saying think that The, that the like, political tension around masks, certainly there was huge political tension around masks at the beginning. Of the yeah, pandemic, that t- that is
1: now gone, but I was just showing that as an issue that
0: I think people became like,
1: we're not willing to tolerate other opinions on either one way or the highway.
0: Yeah. Well, so the reason why I brought that up was during the time that masks were very politicized, do you find that rifts between your peers say that started about the mask issue, did they die down with the salience of the mask issue or did the tension and friction and animosity remain to some extent?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I think, Tensions have kind of come down now that we're all back at our normal classroom setting. I definitely think when we are in that weird like hybrid learning period where they had like some classes in person and some don't and most people that didn't even show up to the classes. I think at that time, like tensions were a lot higher just because people were inside their houses all the time and not really interacting with anybody outside of like their immediate, like immediate family and like their close friend group. So I think that definitely there's like a period of like adjusting. So I think tensions have kind of like eased since like early 2021, but there definitely is like more, more unwillingness to tolerate different opinions than there was like before the pandemic. The 2020 election issue still is like huge. There's tons of people out there who won't hang, aren't willing to be friends with someone who voted differently from them that election. So you voted for Trump, then people don't, don't want to be friends with you. They voted for, like, Biden. Like, it's, like, one way or the highway that issue, and that's a very dividing issue. Like, it's actually really surprising. Like, when I go out in public, like, I don't know how many people, like, ask, like, who did I vote for in the 2020 election? Normally, you never talk about politics when you first meet a person, but there's so many people, like, ask that. Is there immediately trying to decide, should I keep hanging out with this person, or am I not just going to clearly eliminate them to disrupt me politically?
0: So one last general question, and then I want to close with two specific questions about your advice, both for colleges and then for conservative perspective students and their parents. But one last general question is the following. As I've read, it seems like there's two big schools of thought on the near future of political polarization. So one view I would say is more pessimistic, right? And, and the, the right-wing version of that pessimistic view is that, you know, the far left, woke, whatever you want to call it, march through major institutions, you know, seems to be going on unabated. And so the negative consequences in their view of that on, the, on these institutions in terms of, you know, maybe their neutrality in policy with respect to things like race and gender or their ability to seek the truth or whatever don't show signs of getting better. And then the left-wing version of the pessimistic view might be something like you know this this stop the steal stuff you know 2020 was just a dress rehearsal there's all these stop the steal candidates that are running in these state level elections you know for things like secretary of state people who run elections to some extent even even congress people and senators and so the 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 crux of the pessimistic view is basically that as bad as polarization has been in the last few years it's just going to get worse There's also a view I've encountered which is more optimistic, and that is that if you look at, for example, some measures of bipartisanship in Congress and also in the way news media describe the parties, this is something I just saw yesterday, by some of those measures polarization has actually started to come down since 2020. There's some sense that people have that a lot of Americans are fed up with both of the political extremes and being more vocal about that, both in public and at the ballot box. And so my question to you, I guess, is in terms of political polarization, are you optimistic about the future or pessimistic about the future or or neither or, or what? I'm actually very, very pessimistic about
1: polarization. I really only see it, like, getting worse because I see, like, a negative a feedback loop basically developing where left-leaning institutions go after, like, some, like, right-wing issue. And that causes, like, right-wing people to become, like, more hard in their stance, disassociate from that institution. And then you have this institution that becomes more more left-leaning. They begin speaking condescendingly towards, like, more right-leaning people. And so it just creates like tension. And basically, I think that we're kind of self sorting as a society, which is really concerning, where people are moving neighborhoods because they want to be with neighbors who share the same political opinions. They're mov- moving jobs, they want to work at a workplace where people share the same pol- political opinions. When things like social media, Twitter's not really helping with this, people just Maybe they can go in their echo chambers and, like, attack each other. The main thing that I don't think a lot of people understand is that when you're, like, attacking someone on Twitter, there's, like, a face behind that name or someone sitting behind a computer who has, like, expressed that viewpoint, who actually is, like, a real real person, who has, like, thoughts and feelings, like the person who is attacking them, who also have, like, thoughts and feelings, and people don't, like, think about that. They don't think about like someone could actually disagree with me because we're entering a situation where I think everyone's just self-sorting. So people aren't encountering many people who don't share the same viewpoints as them. So that's causing them to come up with a viewpoint like, oh, if you don't agree with my viewpoint on this, you're a fascist. You wanna destroy you wanna destroy democ- democracy. And that's just causing it to get worse. So I don't really see a solution to it until I think we have people live in areas that are less polarized. Like it's I don't think it's a good situation for the country when you have like urban areas going like 90% for Democrats and rural areas going like 90% for Republicans. That's not good for the country. Like we need to have more Republicans in like big cities and more Democrats in rural areas. Because once you're in a situation where everyone's self-sorted, you're on a day-to-day basis, you're not really interacting with anyone who disagrees with you. So you never actually see like a the face of a person who disagrees with you and that just causes you to think the worst of the people who disagree with you and it makes people also not be able to work together because they don't think about like oh this person from a rural area has lives an entirely different lifestyle than me or this person from an urban area lives an entirely different lifestyle style than me my solution doesn't like incorpor- incorporate them i'm very very concerned about the self sorting that's occurring in society and hoping that Maybe in the next few years, maybe we'll see
0: that dissipate somewhat. But I, currently, I'm not very optimistic about it. So one quick follow-up on that. You said you live in Dallas, right? Yeah. So Dallas is actually one of the epicenters of a very interesting trend that has, I believe, predates the pandemic, but has, has become amplified by the pandemic. And that is people moving away from cities and states with large population densities and high housing prices which are disproportionately very very blue and moving to less densely populated places where housing is cheaper and there are some cities in particular you know medium medium large cities Dallas is one of them that are really capitalizing this in ec- economically they're getting a, a tons of new migrants coming in often from places that are blue like California and Texas is a relatively red state is that something that you see at all in your day-to-day life in Dallas? And do you think that that has the potential to improve somewhat the situation that you're describing?
1: Yeah. So the thing, interesting thing that I, I like about Dallas is it's an urban area, but it's like the city is pretty evenly divided politically. It's probably like 40% Republican and like 60% Democrat. So it's not like a New York City or San Francisco where it's 90% Democrat and 10% Republican. So definitely it's not as like polarized there because on a day-to-day basis, you're interacting with people who have different opinions with you, which is good. So like no one in a workplace is ever going to go and like the end talking about their political opinions, they know likely that half of the office probably just disagrees with them on the issue. So that's something I found like refreshing about working in Dallas versus working in Denver. Like people in Denver were much more willing to express their political opinions in like the office versus like Dallas where... I know where half of my colleagues are Democrats, half of them are Republicans. So you're not really going to say say something like that. But the interesting thing about the people moving there is I think they did, I think they just someone did a poll on it. And it's like 50% of people moving there are Republican and like 50% are like Democrat. So the migration into Texas really isn't affecting like the state's like political leanings. If Republicans uh, keep doing terrible in like suburbs and cities, then that would pro- that that could like be negatively affect them. But it's not really affecting the state's like politics
0: overall. That's very interesting. Okay, uh, we're almost out of time, so I want to make sure I get to my last couple of questions. And the first relates to campuses as a matter of policy, but also uh, professors. I'd love to know, based on your experience, what do you think that we could do, either professors or campuses as a whole, to make the intellectual environment more vibrant and more welcoming to to students from all points of view?
1: Yeah. So instead of lecturing and doing like lectures, I would do more classes where I don't know, you can have like a recitation where people have to go and give their opinions like once a week or something. Like I know that's not feasible for lecture classes, but there has to be a way where it's not just the teacher lecturing where you get students input and you can hear different perspectives. And students can work on like forming cohesive arguments and evaluating like their fellow students' arguments and finding weak stuff and strong points in those arguments in order to make them better. So I think the campus should try to try to limit the amount of time it's just the professor like preaching to the choir and increase the amount of times that students can talk and students can come up with like arguments and make sure they're like part of the classes.
0: That's good advice. And and one of the things that's interesting is sometimes for different reasons, that's actually also advice that People that are more on the left sometimes give colleges too. Dude. You moved more towards flipped classroom, more active learning. There's some evidence that students from disadvantaged backgrounds perform better in those kinds of classes. So that's a really interesting uh, convergence of recommendations from you know two different perspectives, different objectives. So let me close by asking you about now. Imagine a, a prospective student who's conservative and their parents, and I remember. A couple summers ago, I was a guest on Heidi Gannal, who's now running for governor, on her podcast. I remember she mentioned hearing a lot from conservative students and conservative parents who were worried about the idea of sending their kids to college in in what they perceive to be a, a politically potentially hostile environment. And so I guess maybe just quickly tell us to what extent would you say that the gestalt of your experience on campus was positive versus negative? And then maybe what are some pieces of advice that you might give to a senior in high school today who's conservative who's thinking about coming to college?
1: I would start out and just say that like the administration of CU is not that liberal. Like if you compare some of the stuff that CSU's done versus like CU and CSU is supposed to be like the more conservative school, like the CU administration's much more like conservative with like their actions. So I will I wouldn't just say like discount CU because because of the rep- reputation, like its administration has not been like that bad for conservatives.
0: Just, main- just really quickly to follow up on that point, would you say earlier you said that you came here with an idea, a particular idea of what Boulder was like? Would you say that you've been pleasantly surprised by the, what your experience actually was compared to that opinion?
1: I would say I was pleasantly surprised. Like, CU is pretty tolerant of your viewpoints. Like, running the young Republicans, I never faced like discrimination and getting a classroom or anything we experience or getting like getting money from the school to help fund our club. We never experienced any discrimination with that. So, that was definitely much more, po- much more a positive experience than I was expecting.
0: That's great. Sorry, I, I derailed you a little bit, but what, what's your advice to a, a senior in high school who's conservative and their parents?
1: Yeah, just college in general, like go to the college that has the best like program for you. I mean, don't don't make your entire life about like politics, like go figure out what you're passionate about, what you want to study, what you want to do, career opportunities, then go to the school that gives you the best like financial package and has the best programs for that. I wouldn't let politics play like such a big role in it because you're ultimately going to college to learn. And if you're you're strong enough, like in your in your viewpoints, then you're going to leave college as a, as a conservative. I think a lot of parents are nervous about sending their kids because their kids don't really have, like, they aren't like me. They don't really have, like, that big of, like, political opinions. But at the same time, like, to fit in in the world, you have to be able to work with a diverse group of people who has a diverse diverse frame of mind and thoughts on politics. So it's good, good to leave, like, the nest and go somewhere where you're going to see people who disagree with you. So if a liberal college ends up being the place that is, like, the best, like, is the best for your career opportunities and the best like financial option for you then go there because ultimately college is just like four years to learn so you just be learning developing a stronger viewpoint and be learning how to deal with people who just disagree with you which i think is huge as you're an adult and you interact with people diverse frames of mind
0: that's great and so one last question do you feel that going to college helped prepare you for your career that you're in now
1: yeah, I think it, I think it definitely helped prepare me for my career. I majored in like finance and accounting, so I do like accounting stuff all day. But definitely, I would say like do a major that like relate is related to like what you want to do because that that will that will help get get you in the field you want.
0: Well, Joey Furtino, thank you so much for joining us on the Free Mind Podcast. It was great talking to you. Congratulations on graduating, and I wish you the best of luck in the future. Thanks, Matt. Nice, nice talking to you. The Free Mind Podcast is produced by the Benson Center for the Study of Western Civilization at the University of Colorado Boulder. You can email us feedback at freemind at colorado.edu or visit us online at colorado.edu slash center slash Benson. You can also find us on social media. Our Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube accounts are all at Benson Center. Our Instagram is at the Benson Center and the Facebook is at Bruce D. Benson Center.